You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast 110. Pinball Wizard. Star Wars. Tech Fan Podcast number one ten. I am Tim Robertson. Joined with Dave. Well, joined with. <laughs> now that's twins strange. now. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a little weird. Get one. your arm out my face. <laughs> Could you uh, scratch my butt cheek for me, please? Um. Yeah. So David Cohen's here. Hello, David. We we got a ten minute late start today. Yeah, somebody was playing Star Wars pinball. All three. Thought I, there's been a lot of talk, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of websites out there discussing this game, a lot of excitement. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to buy these and talk about it on TechFan 110. And that's, I'm going to switch my headphones around here, there. It's exactly what I just did. Does that that mean they're tax deductible? hmm. Yeah, but I'd have to be making money first on this podcast to be able to deduct something. I thought I thought you're a multimillionaire from it. Well, yeah, but you know, the costs are high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no. Um, on first glance, here's my playing each game for like what five minutes. Yeah. Uh, the one I like the best is Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it has that vibe to it. You can hear it in the way it sounds, and of course, you heard it because uh, you know. We're over Skype, and I've got a good microphone, so you could hear it pretty well, correct? Yeah, and what was interesting is not only did it work, we're, obviously you'd expect the Star Wars sounds to be spot on, because those are fairly well established now, but I mean, it sounded like a real pinball table. Mm-hmm. If I'd not known you were playing it on the iPad, I would have thought you had a real table in front of you. And that was just through the speakers that's built into yeah. the iPad, the iPad 3. It's not like I had it hooked up to a stereo or something. Although I did play it on my iPhone yesterday, the Boba Fett one. Uh, waiting for Brittany to get out of school, I'm in the parking lot, and I plugged it into the car stereo, and wow, that sounded cool. <laughs> I mean, I've got a you know a three and a half inch screen, and my sound is incredible. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. yeah. It sounded like an arcade, I'm sure. Um, they play fairly fairly well. Uh, I mean, it's pinball. You can't screw that up too much, as long as you have a rolling ball and you get the physics right and. You- Happen, yeah, the and these, these these are content tables for an established like pinball engine, aren't they? So yes. you would expect them to have the underlying physics kind of sorted. I have to say, my biggest issue with it, and it's really really apparent on the smaller screen iPhone, is there's it, they're too busy. There's too much stuff on the table. There's too many lights, there's too many colors, and you easily lose the ball. You have no idea where it went. In fact, you heard me playing it, and I a couple times I was like, where the hell did my ball go? Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't know where it went. I'm sitting there looking all over for it. I, I shouldn't have to look for the ball. It should be obvious where it is. And on these games, 
I, I lose the ball all the time. I think, I mean, the problem is for me, just, I mean, I've not played it yet, um, but the, the difficulty I've always had with pinball, you know, compared to the pinball as it was when I was growing up, where they, the, you know, they, the graphics on the tables, I'm talking about real tables now, yeah. um, you know, they were, uh, you had a big playboard at the back with the score and everything on, and that had a big uh, art piece that, that was you know set for the theme of the table and then the table itself was themed with that underneath the play field but there wasn't um the most of the stuff you were interacting with was like fairly conventional pinball bumpers and ramps and um you got those little mushroom things and all of that you know there wasn't an awful lot of stuff going on there and what happened is as pinball tried to compete compete with video games and video arcades is they put more and more mechanical stuff onto the tables so now you know i mean the the machines you're talking about this game is emulating what a current pinball table would look like in real life, which is, you know, loads of uh, plastic models and uh, mechanical things and the ball moves from here to here and lights. And, and even on a real pinball table, it, you know, it can be difficult to see what the hell's going on. Of course, on a smaller screen, that's even worse because the ball doesn't stand out as well against what's going on behind it. And I, sometimes I think that people who do pinball games for these machines are missing a trick because why emulate a physical experience when you have a tablet there? Why not make it, you know, Star Wars, but why not take a a leaf from what uh, Angry Birds did with Star Wars where they actually integrated the property into their play mechanic um, and kind of made it... They tried a little bit. Uh, For instance, there's a lightsaber that shoots it out in one of the games. Another one is a blaster... Yeah, uh, but Boba Fett literally is a character on the screen that flies around and shoots at stormtroopers and stuff. The point about that is it actually changed the way you played. You right. can argue the toss whether it was any good or not, but it changed the way you played the Angry Birds game. Well, and Angry Birds Star Wars is my favorite because the mechanics are so much better. Exactly. But this is, this is the point. Why not make a pinball game where instead of you emulate a physical pinball table, why not make it so that, you know, they, you can have a carrot have have something that that shoots the ball and and kind of blows it up and it appears somewhere else and everything but at least then you'd know what was going on because you'd have you know, you know rather the kind of rather have the the rant the somewhat random element of you fire the ball up and you see where it goes and you try and keep track of it i agree with you um i think it's easier to emulate the real world because people are familiar with it and it's an easier sell than a, a new concept by the same token there was a Xbox downloadable game when the 360 first came out called Marble Blast. Mm-hmm. And I played that. It's it's kind of pinball, but not really. You are the ball itself. And you can jump a little bit and you can, you know, you control its movements. But you're basically a ball. And you have to get to a certain point. Uh, some of them, uh, it's like ice, so it's hard to control your ball. Some of them you have to jump just right or you fall off the edge and you die. But it kind of took that concept to a different level. I've seen stuff like that on the iPad and iOS as well. But why not take pinball to the next level? What could pinball really be? Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, as you say, it... it it's hard. I suppose in some ways it's perhaps a little bit unfair to criticise them for not reinventing pinball, but by the same token, there's an opportunity to do that, and maybe somebody else will take it on. <laughs> now, this, but, of I mean, course, the, is... the bottom line is: Would you recommend 
anybody who's either a Star Wars fan or a pinball fan to buy these tables. If you like, if you like pinball on your iPad, yes. If you like Star Wars with even just a mild, yeah, pinball's okay, yes, because it really does feel like Star Wars with all the sound effects, with all the graphics, with the 3D models of Darth Vader and Boba Fett. Um, it feels like Star Wars. So that's kind of cool. I know my son will love it. But yeah. for the average person who's like, yeah, Star Wars is okay and pinball's okay, probably not. Not at $2 a table, and that's what it cost. I spent 6 bucks today on three pinball games um, that I'm going to force myself to play because I just spent yeah. 6 bucks on them, whether I feel like it or not. But, you know, pinball is one of those games on your iPad or even in your iPhone that... <clears throat> You know what? I got five minutes waiting here at the drive-thru at the bank. I'm two yeah. cars back. Yeah, I could play a quick game of pinball. And if you're not done, there's always a pause button. You can pause it, get your money, then pull over to the side and finish your game. <laughs> yeah. If you're not in a hurry. But, it's you know, here's the thing, though. It's fun. Um, And at the end of the day, that's kind of what really matters, isn't it? If this game yeah. is fun or not. That's definitely. Why, why buy a game if it's no fun? Well, there's a lot of people right now, David, debating uh, the fun factor mixed in with the business model, and that's Real Racing 3. Yeah. It's a two-gigabyte game, so it's by far the biggest game, uh, physical size, for iOS. It's huge. Uh, I have not downloaded it yet. I don't have two gigs free on my iPad to play it. And I don't feel like deleting other stuff just to put this on there. Well, if you delete Real Racing 2, you normally have enough room to get it on. That's yeah. what I did. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have Real Racing 2 installed on my iPad. Yeah, so. right. Uh, I could probably delete one of my GTA games, but it deletes the saves where you're at, and I don't want to do that's, that. That's always the problem, isn't it? Yeah. It'd be nice if you could unload the app without getting rid of the, uh, of the, the save data. data. Well, yeah. some, some games actually allow you to do that. It says, yeah. do you want to delete this game? Yes. Do you want to... Keep or save the saved data. Saved. Maybe, you know what, while I'm talking, I'm going to see if uh, it allows me to do that or not with uh, GTA, because they're pretty big games. So let me go to GTA 3. Hold on. What? Deleting GTA will also delete all of its data. Yeah, cancel. Right. Uh, what yeah. about Vice City? Will also delete all its data from this iPad. Any documents and data stored in iCloud will not be deleted. Oh, hmm. So I'm not going to delete either one of them right now because I still play no. them occasionally. Yeah. Um, so Real Racing 3 is a free game. They say. Until you actually play it. And a lot of people are complaining that you go through one race, your car gets beat up a little bit, you use oil, and then you have to in essence, sit there and wait until your car is repaired and fixed and blah, 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 and then you can race again. Well, or, I, yeah. Or you could click a little button and buy something for 99 cents and get right back to racing. Yeah. Rinse, repeat, ad nauseum. It's uh, Apparently, this is the model that Electronic Arts is going to go with all of their games. Now, of course, they now own Firemint, who made these games. Yep. Um, 
Uh, and they've said, yeah, this is their business model for mobile games, is that all of their games will be free to download and will have in-app purchase. And it is always a balance. I've, I've, got, um, I've been playing um, Galaxy on Fire 2 quite a lot for the last six weeks or so, uh, which is kind of a space-fighting 3D training game, a bit like Elite or um, uh, Wing Commander Privateer or something like that. You know, it's a great game. Now, I've bought a couple of add-on packs for it that give an extra, extra missions... Um, and those have been good but you do find as you get through the game there are certain areas where if you want to unlock new planets or new weapons or something you need to basically buy buy that using the in-game currency from somebody and it's a lot of money it's 8 million credits say to buy a a new system to to go to Um, and 8 million credits is not not a trivial amount of money to generate in the game you have to grind for a while to trade to get that sort of money um, or you can buy, you know, 10 million credits while via an in-app purchase. But the point is, is you do have a choice and you can continue to play the game without making that purchase. Or you can play the game to generate the money to um, to do the purchase so that you can go to the go to the new system. And I think that's a fair enough balance. Yeah, if you can, if you can accomplish everything without spending money, you just have to put a lot more time into it. That's completely fair. I think I think what people are getting upset about with Real Racing Three is that it has timers. Yeah. So effectively, you buy um, you buy repairs for your car if you beat it up in a in a in a in a race. But those repairs, if you just use the in-app currency, they're not they're not applied straight away. They, you know, like a real car would. It takes time to have it repaired, and during that time, you can't race with that car. Um. I think most, to be fair, I've played the game and I went through five or six races and I didn't need to spend anything and I didn't have anything stopping me play. Um, And I'm not particularly good, you know, I was bouncing off cars. I'm a fairly, when I play these sort of games, I mean, I think one of the things with the racing game is part of the fun of the game is actually bouncing off other cars. I think so. Using them as a a lever to get around the corner by bouncing off somebody on the inside line. Uh, And of course, that's going to do damage to your car. And eventually you do enough damage, you can't race anymore and you need to repair it. I think what's bothering a lot of people is many of the people who are complaining about this are people who are reviewing the game. And of course, as a reviewer, you want to get through the game as quickly as possible so you can give a fair review. You don't want to play the first three levels and then turn in a full review of the game because then you've not seen all of it. And and I think a lot of the people who are complaining are people like that who are saying, well, to get really far in the game, I need to spend money because I can't wait for the timers to run out. What I've heard from a couple of people who've been playing it is that um, if you buy two cars then, you know, while one's being repaired, you race with the other one, and it's not such a big deal. Um, so I guess there's probably a little bit of, of strategy about how you play um, without necessarily having to spend a lot of money. But um, the, I guess the nature of, the, you know, the EA has said this is the nature of how they want to do this now. They clearly don't feel there's enough revenue from just buying the games outright, but they want uh, a revenue feed from having in-app purchase. I, I guess people will have to vote with their feet. If yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. If people don't like this, don't download, don't play, and don't spend any you know, in-app purchases, and that will send a very clear message. Because a game like this, let's be honest, probably cost EA 2 or $3 million to, to do. I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong, it looks stunning. It looks, you know, it, it's the best game I've ever seen on a... I'm only playing on iPad Mini. Best game I've ever seen on the iPad Mini. It looks amazing. 
Uh, you know, it, it, it looks like a PS3 game. I mean, it really is that good. So if people don't want to spend the money, don't. Vote with your wallet. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that, you still want to get the game and you want to play it, and well, then shut up. <laughs> I think the thing is, is that, look, I mean, it, it depends how you want to play as well. If you're the sort of person who wants to play a game to death until it's finished, it's going to cost you. If, you, if you're prepared to wait and come back, the time is run while you're not in the game. It's not like you have to sit there staring at a screen waiting for, you know, a mechanic to fix the engine or whatever. Sorry, jump time, over to Star Wars Pinball no, yeah, and play exactly. that for a so while. Go and play something else and then come back to the game the following day and race some more. Yep. You know. Um, in, in some regards, you know, as a father ourselves, it, it may be a good thing that there's limiters on there that our kids can't sit there for three hours and playing a game. They can't. I kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> but I'm a dad, so, you know, I, I those kind of things always occur to me that maybe this isn't such a bad idea after all. The problem is, I, I think the other thing that worries people is this is a slippery slope. Um, if it takes off and it does really well, then the temptation for a company like EA will be to, well, the next one, tighten the screws a little bit more. Make it a little bit more expensive. Make it a little less, less easy to play without. But if it takes off pain. and it does well, that means people like it, yes? Well, not it means people like the game. They might play it. Sometimes if a game is good enough, they'll play it despite the cost. I mean, look at World of Warcraft. People spend thousands of dollars on that. Yep. They do that because they like the game, despite the fact they have to spend thousands of dollars to play it. All right, thousands maybe is an extreme case, but hundreds of dollars, certainly. Um, so, I, you know, it depends how good the game is. Whether a racing game is strong enough to support a really tight in-app model i don't know the advanced at least the advantage on ios is that if it's not working for them they can tweak it and they can change it i know a lot of people have problems with uh and i kind of do in some respects with the model that uh blizzard and activision and ea have gone with subscriptions or in-app purchases and that somehow that's inherently wrong but I don't hear people complaining about Netflix, and I'm sorry, but that's entertainment, and that's a, a monthly bill that you get to pay for. The issue is, um, for the gaming industry, is that for EA themselves to do it on one game is fine. And if you look at that in isolation, and people pay their little bit of scratch to play the game, that's fine. But what they can't do, what nobody can afford to do, is do that for 20, 30 games a year. No. Because, you know, and that's, that's the problem, is that they actually could end up poisoning the well if they go too far down this model, because people will not play as many games because they can't afford to. Well, it also will hurt the smaller independent developers in that how do they release a game for five bucks when you can get the EA games for nothing, ostensibly, <clears throat> and try before you, you spend a dime to see if you even like it where the small guys can't really afford to do that. If they know they have a quality product, it's taken them $200,000 in, in real money and man hours to create. It's a two- or three-man team. They can't afford to give away their game for free, hoping that the people may pay for it if they like it. I mean, it sets a bad precedence for a lot of smaller developers like that. But, I, I but guess, yet, but maybe it's an opportunity for them. I would know? agree with you there. I, I think it would be an opportunity, because I think more people would be willing to spend a couple bucks to have the whole thing unlocked than, than have to mess around with in-app purchases until you get bored with the game. But by the same token, you know, as a frugal consumer, I like the idea of 
getting something, trying it, and then deciding if I want to pay for it to yeah. unlock or to to get all the levels or what have you. Because in today's day and age, with so many games out there to play, if they were all 99 cents, I would spend a lot less money because I yeah. just I just wouldn't want to take the chance. Yeah. So there's something to be said for both both models, I guess. And right now we are kind of lucky to have both models in place. The other issue I think with uh, with an, a, a freemium model is that it if it's successful, it's going to be very tempting for the games companies to reduce the investment in each game. Um, and really try and fleece the consumer. You know, they they can make it look good, but the play the play depth isn't there. And well, that's uh, always been the case, though. I mean, yeah. the, the cream's but, but, always going to rise to the top. But I, I think I think it makes it makes it easier for them to justify turning out crappy games if um, if if people aren't paying up front. I can just see the suit sat in a room now saying, "Oh, you know, well, yeah, but people." People are only paying for in-app purchase, not paying for the game up front. So it doesn't matter if the quality is not as good as it could be. And I think we could end up with um, a lot of shovelware in the long run. I mean, that's what happened in the PS2, remember? Yep. Well, and it's happened with pretty much every major video game system, including the Xbox. I mean, that's... And, and hell, look at the Wii U. Or uh, the Wii, just the Wii. How many just crappy games are out there? Just yeah. terrible. I would say on the Wii, ninety-five percent of all the games for it are just crappy games. Ninety percent, ninety-five percent, maybe. <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Let's just yeah. call it ninety-two and a half percent. Ninety-two and a half percent. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It, just, it's just crap. They're just terrible, and it's just companies rushing to get on the platform because it's a hot platform. Uh, There's a game called Monkey Ball that. Me and our older girls, when they were little, used to play all the time. And you're a monkey in a ball, and you race around this racetrack. Yep. And it was so much fun. And the Monkey Ball 2 came out, and it, it was better. It was the same, but just a little bit better, just enough to warrant you know another 50 or $60 purchase. And it was a great game. And uh, the Wii comes out, and immediately there's a brand new Monkey Ball for it. So, of course, we bought it. Terrible game. Terrible game. Yeah. And now I'm completely sworn off of Monkey Ball. They came out with one for iOS. Terrible game on iOS. Doesn't work with those mechanics. So, there you go. Mm. Let's take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about some uh, feedback from Mark Greentree and his new podcast, and uh, an email I sent to David yesterday. We'll be right back. (laughs) Hello, Mark. How are you today? I am doing well. Everyone listen to Not Another Mac Podcast because it is fun. Haha. Back with uh, TechFan110. Good way to get a hold of us is go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a comment there, uh, either on the show notes or there's a content form or comment form that you can fill out. Or a simple email, tim at mymac.com or David Cohen at mymac.com. It is David Cohen, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, David Cohen at MyMac.com. You can find me on Twitter at MyMac or Facebook, Facebook.com slash MyMac. And he is at David B. Cohen on Twitter. That's right. So we got an email from uh, Mark Greentree. He has uh, taken over the geekiest show ever 
about a year ago now, and that's going great. I really like listening to that show. I tend to fall back two or three episodes, and then I get caught up. Yeah. Uh, I do that with a lot of podcasts, though. Um, <laughs> I've, I'm, I've got so many podcasts backed up at the moment that I'm listening to them all at double speed to try and get through them. <laughs> I've not, I've, I think I've done that maybe once, but it hurts my head. <laughs> Although there are some podcasts that it does make it better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's been doing the geekiest show ever. He's been doing not another Mac podcast for, I'm going to say, three or four years now. And he has a new show called um, Track Talk, or Track Talk. Is that right? Track Talk? Why am I drawing a blank Tra- on it? Track Talk. Track Talk. It's the yeah. first episode, so I apologize. It has been submitted and approved by Apple in the iTunes store, so you can actually subscribe to this in iTunes. Uh, you can go to tracktalkpodcast.com and uh, listen to it there. The first episode is live. It's up there. And I'm on the first episode. I did a review of, uh, like I mentioned before, um, a Def Leppard album. So, David, uh, Mark sent some... Uh, feedback in some uh an email i guess i should say yeah and uh go ahead hi tim and david on episode 109 of tech fan david asked how we were getting around the legality of playing music our aim is to play only a short sample 10 to 15 seconds as we are reviewing the main album or artist of the week we believe that this helps the listener connect with the music that they otherwise may have missed therefore we are using the audio in the same fashion as you would a screenshot for review on mymac.com is it legal well, I'm not sure. Should we ever receive a cease and desist notification from any artist or record company, we will, of course, stop presenting the shows in this manner immediately. Does it help the artist achieve sales? Obviously, our listener base will be very small in the near future. Although, thanks to Tim reviewing Def Leppard's Pyromania, I have not only ordered that album, but I intend on purchasing the majority of their catalogue, including the re-recordings. Prior to this, I had only heard of Def Leppard, but never taken the time to actually consider purchasing their music. Bottom line, we just want to share our love for music with other music lovers. Regards, Mark. So, yeah, so I I was wondering, you know, whether they might get in trouble for that. And, uh, you know, clearly... Mark's attitude is, uh, I think, a very sensible one, which is they're not playing whole songs, and uh, you can't do a show about music without being able to hear the music. And there's uh, so many podcasts out there now, big shows, that I hear using music, that I think that if the RAAA or whoever is going to come after people, that's their first target. Yeah. And if I, I, you I, see it happening, then you just kind of kind of play wait-and-see attitude. I agree. And, and, you know, I think my worry um, only is that uh, what Mark is saying is fair, reasonable and proportionate. And and in our experience, um, the music industry and the movie industry and the other creative content industries are none of those things uh, when it comes to pursuing people just for the sake of what they see as protecting their business model. And I, I, I don't think in a million years that um you know that they're going to get tapped up by uh by any legal representation i agree with you there are much larger targets out there but i think the problem is is that i i just don't believe that the music industry has a very enlightened view of this sort of thing and i think if it if it were to ever come to their attention that people were doing this um i think they would probably try and put a stop to it despite the fact that it's probably not in their interest so if you work for a major record label or the ria please do not listen to that show (laughs) <laughs> yes. I've already I was, got I go ahead. 
I always wonder, though, the people who work for those organisations and the people who work in the music industry, are these people who, you know, religiously don't have iPods? No, never they do. Had iPads? And most of them you don't know. care. It's the lawyers, let's be honest. But somebody has to direct the lawyers. Well, that's the higher-ups, the, 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 you know, the CEOs of the companies, the so these CFOs. Are pe- these are people who probably never listen to their own products or view their own products. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I agree no. with you 100%. And I also think... Um, there's going to be a titanic shift in that industry within the next five to 10 years as the old guard who was around in the seventies and the eighties finally fricking thank goodness, retire or die off. Yeah. And more enlightened people of our age group come into, uh, you know, positions of power and they realize and they, that what track talk and podcasts that are like that are doing is beneficial to them. And that if they try to fleece those kind of outlets, that it hurts them long term. So they'll just ignore it. Or they'll give, you know, five bucks a year and you can play up to thirty seconds of any song you want. Those kind of very reasonable fine will give you a little bit of a cash so we can do our show. Everybody's happy, but it increases my sales. And at the end of the day, anything that increases my sales is a good thing. I uh, the I think the 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 worry with all of that though is that is that um, it's very easy. They're, you know, these are industries that are on, are in decline. Yeah. Now the music industry is is in decline. Well, no, the 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 business of music is in decline. The Actual business, yeah. music itself is not. It's yeah. actually going to new heights that it's never seen before. But, because but if you're of, the if you're the if you're the head of a record label, from your perspective, the music industry is in decline, sure. and it's very easy to convince yourself that it's because of digital music, it's because of pirates and everything. Well, but that's and what I nev- said. When when nev- these companies finally start losing their geriatric leadership, you're going to see a titanic shift. I'm not. I'm not sure whether enough enlightened people will come through the system to make that happen. I think I think when you've got people who've worked their way up through those industries, they will have the same view as everyone else. They'll believe the same horse shit that they get fed by. Well, then why else. don't you and I just take over the music industry, David? Uh, we well, can, yeah, we, I mean, we, let's we're kind of busy. We've already got HP to run. I know. Microsoft, but listen, remember, but listen Madonna needs Microsoft. help, man. Metallica needs some help. <laughs> they they haven't made enough money yet. I, I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. It, what irritates me more than, you know, thinking about people in suits sat in boardrooms making these decisions is when real artists come out talking this crap. You know, Tom York yesterday was going on saying that you know, Apple and digital music had destroyed his industry. And it's just like, please... You know, it's never been easier to get music out there. Well, that's, that's, no, that is a bad thing if you're an established artist, though. Because we've been force-fed shit music for a long, long time and said this, and and people telling us, this is great, this is great. Look at all the marketing behind this new Madonna album or the new Metallica album. And it's just shit compared to what was else was going out there that the record companies weren't promoting. Thus, yeah. those people were never, ever going to get hurt. So he's right. Apple and iTunes and, and MP3 and all that is absolutely destroying his business because he's a shit artist compared to what else is out there. And now everyone is kind of on a level playing field, but not really. Um, as much as we'd like to think that dis- digital distribution is leveling the playing field, it's still not because there's still a huge marketing machine behind the Bruce Springsteen's of the world. Um, 
it's not a level playing field to this day, but it's getting there. And he's right. In that regard, his business model is in trouble because if we have true choice on music, listen to 45 seconds of a song in iTunes and deciding our purchase at that point, regardless of how much it's being promoted by the record companies, the shitty artists are going to lose money. They're going to go away because no one's going to buy their crap. And this new breed of musicians out there, be it a folk singer, a rap artist, whatever, can start building up an audience and actually making money and doing it professionally. Yeah. It's interesting, actually. I, I was just before I did the show today i was listening to um some stuff on my output I'm, I'm reviewing a set of headphones at the moment that are really good the uh, rma m350s mm. rha sorry m350s they're a fantastic oh, of course come on david yeah of course you knew exactly what i was talking <laughs> of course about. i did they're um i'm going to be putting the review up on the site in a couple of days they are fabulous for there are there are like 35 dollars 40 dollars something like that these things sound amazing but what's interesting is that they are they're very neutral. They don't color the music at all. Um, and I've noticed that that's great if you're listening to older music where it was engineered in such a way that, um, you know, they, the engineer didn't put too much processing and production on the music on the soundstage. But you listen to more recent stuff where it's been so heavily compressed and designed to be listened on, you know, lousy headphones and tinny yeah. radios and that sort of thing. And, of course, on something that doesn't intervene to pull that back, it sounds awful because, it, you know, it, it has nothing in the middle and it's all at the top and the bottom. And, you know, it sounds really harsh at the top because these headphones are kind of exposing the limitations of what the engineers have done to the music. You know, it's funny. There's a uh, really good article right now on TheVerge.com about autotune. Yeah, I, I was saw just that. reading. It was really a good yeah. article. Uh, it was very interesting. And it kind of falls into line with what you're saying. And while digital distribution seems to be helping the music industry, the rest of it probably is doing just the opposite. It's yeah. dumbing down the, the fidelity of music. But do you think yeah. there's going to come a tipping point where people go, you know what, this just sounds like crap you got to do a better job than I this. don't I don't know I don't think because the problem is it's done so well that well, most people don't notice you I don't know, know. there was a big backlash on the last Metallica album that was so over engineered so designed for the crappy headphones that even the band themselves came out and said this is not good yeah now they didn't do anything say, about yeah. it they didn't say and if you downloaded it we're going to send you a download code to yeah. get you a better version they didn't do that yeah, heaven they, forbid they wouldn't do that because they hate download anyway. Yeah, <laughs> they'd rather you go out and buy another CD. Mm-hmm. But uh, but look at look at what happened. Uh, you know, Beyonce at, at the inauguration. She didn't perform live because she was worried it wasn't going to sound good enough. She'd not rehearsed enough. You know that is that is the kind of the perfection mindset is where auto tune comes from. Yep. it's about it's unacceptable to sing a bum note. Um, and uh, you know I've I've noticed artists who who I think are pretty good. Yeah, I see live performances of them where they haven't got live auto tune going, and I think, oh, crikey, they can't really sing that well. Well, they do you have auto tune that they could perform live as I well. I know, now. but a lot of people, I mean, if you go back a few years before they had that, they've got that now. Yeah. Go back a few years, it wasn't available. And then some very big artists, you know, you'd be surprised at how poor they were live because. That you know the 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 albums were a bit so engineered that you thought they sang a lot better than they actually could. 
But then you, you know? look at someone like Coldplay, and one of my favorite songs of all time is called Trouble. Yeah. And the way his voice cracks and breaks in some parts of that song, and he's totally out of tune, totally makes the song so much better. It sounds Absol- like a human yeah. freaking singing. You can hear the emotion, you know? That's and isn't it? That's yeah, what we like as humans. We like the imperfections of things. And isn't it ironic that Coldplay are now the one of the ones most criticised for producing like anthemic, over-engineered stadium songs? Yeah, um, and they know. do, but they do both. Uh, they they do. The problem is, is that the 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 ones I'm, people only ever hear are the stadium songs because those are the ones that get played as singles. Right, but then you I, don't hear I, you know, a song I, like. I, and I guarantee you, almost yeah. nobody listening to this podcast has ever heard the song "Trouble." Go to iTunes, download "Trouble" from Coldplay. It was with the Brit- most of the British people will have done because it was their first big hits before they became big anywhere else. Um, so, so I mean, we're in the UK. We're much more familiar with that song. But yeah, I mean that that first album they did is very different in terms of how it's produced from some of the later stuff. Um, and and exactly as you say, it has some real raw emotion on there. You know, and and I think that's something they still bring to their music nowadays. But uh, it kind of gets lost because the radio friendly versions that you hear. I think the same is true with a little bit of U2. You see, you hear a lot more processed sound in the new U2 albums, the last two albums, um, going back to probably uh, How to Build an Atomic Bomb yeah. than if you listen to, like, Joshua Tree. I mean, it, it sounds like a different band, not yeah. because of musically they're different, but because of the sound itself has changed. So... Let's uh let's take one more break here, David, and when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and and uh, discuss. <laughs> we'll be right back. Elisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, women, savvy, geeks, three geeky ladies. Technology from a female perspective. Finishing up uh, Tech Fan One Ten with David Cohen and me, Tim Robertson. Uh, David, I sent you an email a couple days ago. You did, and uh, I said, "Wow, I think I called it scummy or something." Shameful. Shameful. That's what Shame. it was. Do you want to explain what that was? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, so. We don't know a lot about this at this stage. It'll be interesting to see how this one pans out in the next week or so. But um, it appears that the judge who presided over the um, the pa- the uh, kind of the patent litigation between Samsung and Apple in the UK, which was where uh, basically Apple took one in the shorts uh, and was made to issue a public apology to Samsung, saying that their uh, devices did their that Samsung's tablet devices could not be confused with the iPad, um, and um, which was ridiculous. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I didn't follow the case that closely, but clearly that was what the judgment was. Uh, and so Apple kind of tried to be a bit cute with it by <laughs> they they published a full page ad in the papers saying. Yes, we, uh, we, you know, we, we uh, would like to point out that um, you know, uh, Samsung's devices are so crappy that there's no way you could confuse them with the iPad. Um, that was a fe- the tone of what they did. And, and the, the judge then accused them of, being, uh, of lacking integrity and made them change what they were doing. 
um, and made them put something on their homepage, which they did, and kind of all this. So it, you know, it was it was definitely a case where Apple was seen in in the court, in the actual judges' court, and then perhaps in the court of media opinion, certainly to have um, taken a bit of a bloody nose. Um, it turns out that the judge who made that ruling um, is now representing Samsung on another patent case hmm. as an expert witness. Which means he gets paid. Which means he gets paid by Samsung. Presumably, well, let's be clear. He's, he's mentioned on a court filing. We don't know whether he's paid. Yeah, anytime you have... Free. Oh, sure they are. I, I, the, wait, the, I think that this is, this is a thing where I'm, I'm very, very slightly cautious. Because we've seen the guy's name on a court filing. He clearly is representing Samsung, and I think whichever way you cut it, that is a conflict of interest, and it's not appropriate for somebody who's a judge. No, he's not then, a judge anymore. Let's be clear. Well, no, he's not, and he wasn't. He actually wasn't a judge at the time of the ruling because he was retired and was working as a professor, and he was called back in to judge this case on the basis that he's an expert on patent law. So. Um, he wasn't actually like even then at the time of the ruling even though he was judging this case he wasn't a full-time judge but nevertheless even if he even if he's not been paid and the only reason he's been mentioned is because of his inside knowledge of the case that he presided over i mean i could see a situation where you could build an argument to say well look this guy really understands our case inside out because he presided over our presentation so therefore he's very good as an expert witness to represent on that case to another party even under those circumstances so you know he's an expert he's got inside knowledge and he's not being paid it is still pretty scummy for him to be working for one of the parties to uh, which he presided over. Yep. It, it doesn't sound like it's really like on the straight and level. It would be better in those circumstances for you to recuse yourself from, you know, where somebody came and asked you and said, look, you know, you, you presided over this. Would you be prepared to um, share your expertise on that to another party to say, well, look, I really don't think well, that will be appropriate. Um, all the documents from the case are in the public domain, um, so please, you know, use them, use them to to your uh, to you know as as you see fit. But it wouldn't be appropriate for me to to, sh- you know, to actually represent or stand up on your behalf. Right. And, and clearly, this is something the guy's done. Now, as I say, one thing I did come back to you and say we don't know the detail. So he may have, uh, for a start, he just because he's been named on this does doesn't necessarily mean that he's a paid Samsung shill. Um, it could be that he's just written them a letter of support or whatever it is. We don't know exactly what's going on at this point. I'd be interested to see whether anybody um, takes the time to try and get to the bottom of what exactly is going on. But certainly at first judge, it does look a little bit... It looks extremely uh, bad. Sh- yeah, it does. Now, it doesn't look good. Now, to, to be honest, um, I know there's probably some Americans listening to this going, ugh, see, because that's what's in Britain. Because no, there's there are people that will think that. Well, all you have to do is look at American politicians and say, "Oh, look, this guy leaves office. He passed all this legislation that was, you know, uh, pro drilling and you know, pro oil industry. And then what's his job three days after leaving Hill? Oh, he's a lobbyist for the oil industry now." 
I don't I'll see sl- any yeah. difference other than I'll, a judge yeah. is supposed to be above reproach, yeah. and everyone expects this of a politician, but it doesn't make it yeah. any more right. Those sorts of uh, these sorts of circumstances are becoming more and more common in the Absolutely. UK. You're, you're very right that it used to be fairly rare over here. Yep. Um, you know, go back ten years and it would be pretty much unheard, uh, of. unheard of. Right. But that's and been has, that's the way know, it's been in America for a, a very long time. Yeah. Well, it, it has become increasingly common yeah. now, and 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 it is something that concerns me as a British citizen. You know, we have a guy at the moment who runs the National Health Service. Um, and he was previously the chief executive of a health authority where one of his hospitals were found to be so bad that they reckon that their lack of standards probably killed three, four hundred people, led to their deaths through, yeah. uh, you know, uh, neg- literally neglect. I mean, it was a situation where old people in this hospital were drinking water out of flower pots because nobody would give them any water. Jesus. I mean, that's how bad it got. I mean, it was it was really, really bad. And this guy is now running the entire health service. And nobody within the health service or the government has suggested that perhaps it might be appropriate. For, now this has all come out for him to resign. Well, you at know, least it came so, out. But it, and at least yeah. there's calls for his resignation. Whereas in the United States, we have people who were um, completely entrenched and say, Chase Bank, or you know what have you, that are now on the presidential's financial advisory, whose obviously their their only goal and mandates are to help the big banks, not the small investors or the small business owners. That's not what they're there for. And I don't hear a lot of outcry here in the United States of people saying, "Hey, that's not someone to represent the people. That's not someone you should have advising you. You you need someone that's going to be more impartial." And that isn't pro huge banks, um, but that's that's the reality we live in nowadays. There's, it really comes down, David, to corruption. And yep. you know we need to stop thinking about this country is more corrupt than that country because they're all corrupt at this point, and it takes people becoming informed before changes are going to happen, and yeah. and that's where I think. Honestly, um, outlets like this, podcasting, could really be a boon for society because most podcasts aren't huge as far as, you know, uh, being supported by an oil company or a bank. Uh, They're small, independent, most of the time pretty smart people doing it. You don't get a lot of dummies in podcasting because they're, well, they're dummies. They don't know how to do it. So I I would have to say on that that if any oil company or bank is interested in sponsoring this podcast, while <laughs> while I would guarantee to remain impartial and completely um, unbiased, I'd very happily take their large amounts of money. Oh, they can advertise here. <laughs> it doesn't influence my opinion. Yeah. Um, although you know, honestly, let's, let's let's be honest here for a minute. If Samsung came to the Stoplight Network and said we want to sponsor every single show, we want two ads on every show. And here's a million dollars to do it. How many anti-Samsung copying Apple rants would you hear on the Stoplight Network after six months? I bet it would go down. Uh, I think it's I mean, human it, nature. Isn't he, it? You're right, I was just going to say it is human nature to. Um, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Nobody uh, does. You, well, it's, you certainly want you in the in a in a willingness to try and be as fair as possible you 
inadvertently tend to give people who are helping pay the bills an easier ride. Sure. Because you don't because you're very concerned about being unfair to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a difficulty. You're right. It is human nature. Um, and uh, the only thing I guess the only thing you can do in that case is to fully upfront declare your conflict of interest and say, well, this is the situation. Allow people to judge for themselves. What's unfortunate in this case of um, this judge is that if it hadn't been for uh, Florian Muller at false patents who spotted this publicizing it nobody would have ever known that's right and again that goes back to this outlet of podcasting and independent websites and the little guy that is bringing these things to light and that's what the internet is all about it's this free flow of information and as much as governments would like to squash it as much as they have tried in the past as well as the big companies like the RAA you're not going to be able to the cat's already out of the bag. So you need to change the way you do things. You need to be a little bit more transparent. Now, I'm not saying that, for instance, the U.S. government or the British government should start you know, keeping classified documents about their enemies on, uh, online, <laughs> you know, intelligence yeah. reports and whatnot. Uh, but you do need to be a little bit more transparent on, on who's making the policies, on who the leaders are listening to, who has their ear. Who's getting posts and positions in com- in, uh, in the government that the public interest really isn't being served because that person is there? You know, that's eventually, I think, what's going to change the world. And we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Because, in, and right now, it's not because there's not enough sites or podcasts or what have you or news agencies reporting on this. The problem, quite honestly, David, is apathy on the people reading and the people listening. They just can't be bothered. They can't be bothered beyond listening to it for a few minutes and then forgetting about it completely. Even if they're completely enraged while they're listening, that's that's BS and something's got to change. And, oh, look, oh, my favorite show is on television. I'm going to watch that now. Yeah. Or, or even worse than that, you kind of get this um, this faux activism where people say, "Well, I'm going to show that I disagree with it by changing my avatar on Twitter, or wearing right. a ribbon, or something like that." But, but not doing anything more apart from that. That's and, right. You know that is that all that's doing is is you you kind of convincing yourself you've made you take the stand when in fact you've done nothing. You've done absolutely nothing. You know, and um, here's a you know here's a here's a good point here. You know this particular issue. I'm in the UK. This guy works within my system. The case he's now consulting on is a UK case. I'm going to write to the Ministry of Justice and and um, see what they've got to say about this. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's perfectly legal. I'm, you know the guy's a, the guy's a lawyer. I doubt he would do this if he thought he was going to get in trouble for it. But uh, I'm still going to write to the Ministry of Justice and get a comment from it. Well, there's always see. sure. Yeah, but there's a difference between what, what's right and what's legal. Yeah. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a prime example in the United States, um, in front of the Supreme Court next month, is the whole gay marriage thing. And yeah. In particular, Proposition 8 in, in California. And a lot of companies, as well as the White House now, has submitted briefs uh, opposing Proposition 8, which bans gay marriage in California. Mm hmm. 
Yep. That's something that a lot of people are paying attention to. And it's something that I think personally is is wrong. Uh, I I don't I don't think bigotry and denying other people equal rights is ever a good thing. But the people of California spoke and said, "No, we don't want gay marriage." So what's the recourse? Does the majority then win? You know what's what's the recourse? Well, the recourse has been. Uh, a lot of opinions online pointing out that this is, in fact, hatred and bigotry and and denying basic civil rights to people. And it's moved through the court systems now because a lot of people got involved. And it's because of people like you writing to the Ministry of Justice and becoming actively involved. If more people just kind of sh- sat there and shook their head and Nothing yeah. would have changed. Yeah. You you have to get involved. Now, you can't get involved in everything because, let's be honest, we do have our lives, our lives to live. We have kids and wives and bills and work. Yeah. and you, you can't, everything that ticks you off, you can't get involved in. But you do have to kind of stand up sometimes on something that you really believe in. And, and take a stand and do something. Be more proactive. And I wish yeah. more people would do that. You should be an, at least be an activist about something important to you during your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe it's your activism results in a podcast or a website. That's not a small thing either, because that can influence other people who take action. But just shaking your head and, oh, how terrible, and, and the apathy of, well, that's just the way things are. That that irritates me more than anything. People who just go, well, you know, I guess that's just the way it is. Nothing you can do. Nah. Well, you're right. There's nothing you can do if that's your attitude. <laughs> well, there's nothing you can do if you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let's uh, wrap the show up here, David. Uh, enjoyed our conversation this week. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. We'll be back next week with uh, show 111, all ones, 111. Uh, no idea what we're going to talk about, of course. We'd still love to hear feedback from you guys. Uh, I said earlier in the show how to contact us. It's Tim at MyMac.com. David is David Cohen at MyMac.com. Or you can go to TechFanPodcast.com, comment either underneath the article, or send us a, submit a, whatever it is. What is it? Uh, share your views or comment, yeah. content, uh, contact us, something like that. Contact us. And uh, we'll read it right here on the show. David, have a great weekend. And you, man. Bye.